Good morning, City Light. Like he said, my name is Alex or Alejandro. Uh, you have permission to say Alejandro if you pronounce it that way. If you say Alejandro, it hurts my feelings, like literally. So uh, let's keep it Alejandro or Alex, whatever you call it. But let me tell you that it's a privilege to be here with you today. Um, like he said, I'm a church planting resident um, here at City Light. And it's just a really a, an awesome opportunity to serve you as as a person who really God is going to use to deliver a kind of a messy uh, message, right? But uh, in case you're wondering what a church planter resident does, I think I just want to echo Gavin really quick. And all I do is just sit down under their leadership, under the pastoral team. And uh, I really, I, I'm intentionally trying to cultivate character, build some competencies. Um, and also, I, I get some theological training from Southern Seminary and not um, and not where Chris, I'm not going to mention where he went to school, but anyhow, we all know the joke, and, and I didn't do it on the first hour, and I wanted to do it again. Anyhow, but uh, <laughs> so I, I do some the- theological training, but also, um, like I said on staff, I just, this is where I kind of get my hands dirty, hands-on ministry. So uh, once again, it's a joy to be here with you today on sharing God's word. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, open them up to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to pick up our series on on this text right now and we're going to to see the verses in matthew 2 13 to 23 and this past monday as gavin mentioned we kicked off a series on this gospel uh the gospel of matthew once again and he showed us uh, three characters he showed us joseph he showed us jesus and he showed us the spirit and if you've been going through Matthew uh, in your quiet times, you see in chapter 1, you see a long list of names with the genealogy of Jesus. You've seen also the birth of our Savior, and this is where we're going to pick up now today. And I want us to, to, really, to really hear from God, and he's, you know, my prayer is that he will reveal to you guys three truths that I see in this text, that we have in this text, and, and that will be uh, and we can walk out of here really like listening from him, right? So today I want to preach a message to you that is, I've titled, The Promises of God and the Heart of the Wicked. The Promises of God and the Heart of the Wicked. And the main idea out of Matthew 2, uh, especially on this section, is that God is faithful to deliver on his promises. That is the main idea. This is the thesis statement of Matthew 2, of this section, 13 to 23. And it all begins with, with this wise man, uh, the, the fairy tale story, or, or kind of like the story says three of them. We don't know how many of they are. But anyhow, it begins with them that they follow a star that God has put on the sky. And they want to go there to worship this baby that is being called the king of the Jews. So they, they go and make their way to wherever this baby king may be at. Um, and they, they go to Jerusalem, thinking that this is kind of like the, the place where it might make sense if he is, in fact, the king of the Jew. But instead, um, once they arrive, Herod himself, who is the active current king that sits on the throne, uh, that is reigning over the Jews under the leadership of the Romans, he's like, who is this king? I'm the king. Who's trying to take me out of a job right here? Uh, and what, what happens next is that he gets a hold of his advisors, people that will know of scripture. He's a, a political a figure that has power, uh, that has influences. And they said, hey, somebody is actually coming after my job saying there's a baby king born. I want to know where he's at. 
So his advisors, the people that said, that know the scripture, he says, hey, the scripture says that he's coming out of Bethlehem. So you better go there if you want to find him. So instead, he sends the wise man to Bethlehem and say, hey, when you find this king, just text me, send me a WhatsApp and tell me because I want to go there and I want to worship this king just like you, like you do. Well, that's not really the intention that he wanted or that he had, excuse me. That's, that's not the intention of Hera. The intentions were like he needs to eliminate the threat because Jesus is a threat to the throne. He's a threat to Herod. So the wise man continued the journey uh, to see the babe, uh, to go and meet the, the baby king. They arrive in Bethlehem. They go into the house. They meet Mary and Joseph. They say, hello, how's it going? Where's the king at? And the scripture tells us that they, they were filled with joy to see this baby king. And they fall down and they worship Jesus. They also leave some pretty amazing gifts. I don't, I, I'm going to try to do a better, a better job of pronouncing Frankenstein's or Frankenstein, whatever you, you call it. These are the kind of gifts that he's getting, and there's myrrh, and there's gold, and, and I have no idea what you do with that. I would have preferred, like, maybe some, some baby wipes or, or some, some diapers from Costco, but I, I actually, now that I think about it, I guess that with all that gold, you could have bought, like, Costco itself, Right? So that is a little recap on what we see in the first verses of chapter 2. And that sets the tone for our text for today uh, that we're going to see again from verse 13 to, 20, uh, 13 to 15. We're going to see our first truth. We're going to see the first truth that Matthew is trying to tell us out of this section. And the truth is that we can trust God's promise to deliver us from our enemy. If you got your notes, write that down. Because it is important that, that, that we need to know that we can trust God's promises to get us out of a messy place. So let's read together, uh, beginning in verse 13, that it says, Now when Herod had departed, or when they had departed, excuse me, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child, uh, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I've called my son. So we see that the angel, an angel of the Lord appears in a dream to Joseph, giving him some clear instructions. Hey, you got to pack it up, man. You got to get all your stuff and go because there is a threat here. So the first royal family, it's about to grab all the thermometers, baby wipes, those diapers that we talked about. He's going to pack it up, put on a donkey, most likely, and go to Egypt. He needs to go to a foreign land. He needs to flee. And this is heavy stuff. I don't know if you see this, because how, how does this make any sense? How is Joseph even obedient to this angel saying, like, but what's happening? I've got some questions. Can I, can I take a time out and just ask you maybe a few? Can I phone a friend? Imagine, imagine this. You've got a toddler, right? You've got a, a toddler that is a two-year-old baby. Uh, Jesus is about two years old at this point. You've got him going through the terrible twos like my boy Samuel. Well, you've got God in the flesh, so that's not an even fair comparison. But anyhow, so if you've got this toddler, you've got a wife, and, and you've got a bunch of stuff. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's just go. Imagine that. How crazy does that sound? 
not your typical first-class vacation or a way that you would, you know, think how you will go to a, a different land, a different country, a different place. But here's the thing. The enemy was pursuing Joseph, and the enemy was pursuing the king. He was pursuing Jesus, the one who would come into this world to save you and I from our sins. God was delivering him. He was protecting him. Notice the effect of protection God had on you and I just on this turn of events. God was sparing his son so his son can spare us. Now, let's just, just pause for a moment. Let's go into Joseph's camp here. Let's just kind of step into his shoes. You know, a man with a ton of insecurities, very likely. Questions as to why am I doing this? Why do I got to flee? We see right away a posture of obedience. This man didn't second-guess himself. He packed it up and went. Herod himself, the wicked of a heart, the wicked, uh, the wicked dude that we see in this picture, he was orchestrating the murder of a child that was threatening his power. But God was carrying out a plan that was even more beautiful than anything else. He was, he was par- carrying out a plan to deliver, to deliver Joseph, Mary, and Jesus from the enemy. So God, some 700 years back, prophesied this. He, he knew this would happen. He called his son out of the very same place he sent him for his own protection. If you look at the Old Testament, the, the prophet Hosea speaks about this very same words that we see in chapter 11, verse 1. He said, out of Egypt, I've called my son. And now Matthew, this again, 700 years later, it's recording the same thing in the New Testament saying like, look what he said years ago. Now this, it's being fulfilled. Now God is doing this. He's calling him out. He's sending him in for his protection and he will call him out of there. Matthew records that even Joseph and his family had to run away from his homeland, from their comfort, from their security, from their families, from their friends. He will call them to a place where there will be refugees for the very first time, and this will not be home. But again, he took them because he wanted to protect them. He wanted to protect the first royal family. He called them out as well to fulfill what he said he would do. So see, like you and I can trust that God will take us out of the, the, the messy stuff, the messy, the messy situations, right? In the story, we see God clearly, this is absolutely clear, God's ability to deliver his people from the enemy. And the beautiful thing, he just did that. He did that with Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And in fact, the main point in this section that, that Matthew is trying to show us here is that how God the Father is fulfilling his promises by bringing his son into the world. He's bringing him in into our picture, into our world. He protects him until the mission is completely accomplished. I want to zoom out for a moment and just remind us that this points us to a truth that, that God does deliver us from our enemies. Maybe you're not running from anybody who's really trying to kill you or is after your life, uh, but the reality is that some of us may have a spiritual enemy or have gone through a spiritual battle. We do have a, a spiritual enemy, but we may have, be, we may be going. My goodness. Okay, let's let's do this again. <laughs> we have a spirit, a spiritual enemy that is active, trying to destroy us. Think about it for a moment. Look at yourself. 
Have you gone through a spiritual battle and you see the threat? Because I have. I certainly have. I am not exempt for that. As a matter of fact, the spiritual battles began in September. Gavin said I stepped into ministry and I said, well, you know what? It's going to be all good. I don't think the devil can get a hold of me because I work at a church now. I'm around pastors who pray, who are like super holy, and they wear skinny jeans and boots, and, and I don't even know, but they're going to pray for me, and I'm like completely exempt for this, and, and it's going to be all gravy. Wrong. So wrong. You know, as a matter of fact, like the very same day I saw like me and my wife were just going out of each other's throat. <laughs> for the very first thing we said seven years ago when we first got married, that we will never fight for that. The threat is so real. We laugh right now because it sounds kind of funny, but it's super real. You have no idea. I had no idea. So we need to be aware that the enemy is active after us trying to kill us, trying to destroy us, because we have a relationship with a God that who, who has already defeated him. We have to acknowledge that there is a spiritual battle going on, and my wife and I, we had to put it before God. We recognize that Satan wanted to get a foothold of a relationship, our unity, our joy, our love for each other. And now we can t- look back and just kind of take inventory that he has delivered us from the enemy. Are you going through a spiritual battle right now? Or have you gone through a spiritual battle and you've seen, yes, God has delivered me from the spiritual battle. We know that our enemy is going to try and take some shots at us in this final battles, but he's won the war for us already. Jesus has won the war against Satan, and on the last day, he's going to be thrown in a lake of fire. But until then, we need to listen to the voice of God when he speaks. We see that in Joseph, he said, go, we need to do the same thing. We need to have a posture of obedience when God is speaking because he's speaking for, his, for our own good and for our own protection this trip for joseph was any scene but convenience luxurious it wasn't a fun drive to kc for the weekend not at all this was just completely something out of the ordinary but he listened and obeyed god because he was protecting him and he was protecting his family let me take us back into the story the royal family already has gone out to to egypt Herod uh, realizes that he has been tricked by the wise man. And this is where we're going to pick up uh, on our text today uh, and transition into our second truth, which is, second truth is, we must be aware that the enemy does not give up easy. We must be aware the enemy is going to take some swings at us, and he's not going to go down that easy. We pick it up on verse 16 that says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So Herod, in this part of the story, he gets tricked. A powerful man uh, that has... And authority has power. Um, probably had to be the biggest slap in the face. I don't know if anybody of you in this room has that kind of authority. If somebody tricks you, you'll be pretty mad. 
I seriously doubt that you will carry it out something as this man did. But what we need to notice here is that this is a hard issue. This is a sin issue. Herod himself was after uh, his own pleasure. He wanted to protect his self-interest. His allegiance was to no one but himself. He saw Jesus as a threat, and he needed to eliminate it right away. It doesn't matter what, I, what he needed to do. He just needed to deal with it. The question is, which is very interesting, is that how could a baby threaten a king? It clearly shows how evil this man was. So he did exactly that. He carried the massacre of Bethlehem, a horrific event that was carried out to serve his own pleasure of power. This was an act of pure evil. Herod thought that he could kill all the babies. He could probably could deal with the threat of the baby that is being called the king of the Jews. And I don't want to downplay this event. This is, this is terrible. Of course it is. But I want us to look at and point out the fulfillment of this verse and uh, of this event in verse 18. And I'm going to put it up on the screen again, or they will. <laughs> A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This prophecy comes from Jeremiah 31. Uh, it comes from the verse 15, and as you can see, heartbreaking. There's definitely no denying on that. You've got the murder of some children. He was, Herod himself wanted to double down. Uh, he was determined to, to destroy Jesus. But could I just pause and just tell you that there is hope in this text? This text is showing us that even that the enemy is not going to give up easy, he's just going to take some swings at us, Right? There is hope in this text. Let me tell you why I say that. This event didn't take God by surprise. God knew all along. He knew this tragedy would happen. He spoke through it over um, years ago through the prophet Jeremiah. This wasn't something that he was unaware of. Yes, we don't ignore the fact of the tragedy and the pain and the sorrow that this brought. Could you imagine the parents of these children? I mean, it's very easy to just be standing here and preaching that and just saying out of your mouth, but this is, this is very heavy. This is extremely heavy. But even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of desolation, chaos, here's the question for all of us. Where's the hope in that? Where's the hope that will carry us when the enemy is taking some swing at us? The hope is in the one who shed tears of blood, that who died on the cross for you and I, which would include the, the wiping of all the tears of our face. This is, this is Jesus himself doing that for you and I. And I don't want us to miss this. I don't, this, is, this is too good to miss it. In the prophecy, again, we see Jeremiah, uh, uh, he paints a picture for us of death, of pain, of weeping, of sorrow. But look with me, or just better yet, just close your eyes for a moment and listen to the voice of, of God. Listen to the, to the voice of Jesus in Revelation 21 in verse 4 where he says, He, that's Jesus, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall be there mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you see why there is a message of hope now? 
with this prophecy, God was saying, yeah, pain is real, chaos is real, suffering will come. But he knew hundreds of years ago that this massacre will happen. So that didn't hinder him from sending his son and the salvation that he will bring to many. This is good news. This is very good news to your life. God was not taken by surprise by this event. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. All things will pass away, and we need to rejoice in this truth. Would you believe that, City Light? Would you remind yourself of that today? When I was six years old, my parents divorced, and uh, that, was a, that was a big change for, for my life. I don't remember it very much because I was fairly small, uh, in age, and, uh, but after the separation, um, I, they eventually marry, they eventually redid their lives, they actually have more children with, with their respective spouses, so like I said, that was a big change, right? I ended up living with my mother, because I had no saying after that, anyhow, but, uh, but that was, uh, like I said, that was a big change, so if I fast forward the story to about 1999, 1998, there was another change that will come up in our lives as well. Big, big, big change. They said, hey, we're going to move. And I'm like, all right, what neighborhood are we going? Oh, we're going to America. What? I don't even speak English, mom. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Anyhow, so she said, okay, we're going to move. We're going to make the move to America, specifically to the city of Omaha. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I got a life here. Mom, you're destroying me. You kids probably know what I'm talking about that, I, that are going through my age. But anyhow, you know what? We did. We packed it up. We went. That we had to adjust to a new country, a uh, new culture, new style of living, a uh, new currency, new everything, right? So big, big, big change. So we settled in the city of Omaha, and some, year, some years have passed, and there is another big, big change that comes into our life. And my stepdad, my mom's husband, gets diagnosed with cancer. Big change, obviously. Diagnosis, uh, you think the worst of that, um, and we get the diagnosis. There are uh, plans for, for treatment, doctors coming in and out, um, and personally, it, for me, it was like, okay, I don't know you, Jesus, right now. I don't know you, God. Like, you kind of, I don't know if you're real or not. Like, could you just do something here? Could you s- step up? Maybe, because there, there are some questions. I don't even know what's going to happen. But here, here's, here's one, one great thing is that my mom had heard the name of Jesus before that happened. And, and as I sit back now and, and, and see that she had trusted in his name and, and just became her child, he was preparing her for what she was going to go through. See, God knew. God had a plan. And, and it didn't take him, you know, it didn't take him like, oh, I didn't know this. You know, <laughs> no, no, I knew. I knew this would happen. But here's another thing, though. Here's another beautiful thing. It's like, look what God did through those turn of events. See, my mom knew. She became a believer. She said, Jesus, I'm yours. Then my aunt, my uncle, personally, I heard the message, and I said, yes, Jesus. And then let's look even further. I met my beautiful wife. She, Catholic background, like probably has some questions as myself. Then I had the opportunity to minister to my wife, to disciple my wife. This was through Skype, (laughs) by the way. So I disciple my wife, then she comes here, we marry, we have a beautiful family, we have one, and then two, and then three kids that they have the opportunity to worship the King Jesus because now their parents have believed. Now my daughter is like, like singing God is on the moon, which is the wrong lyrics, by the way. But 
but, but do, do you see what God is just doing here? He's like, dude, I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you to myself. Even through diagnosis, even through the chaos of life, the chaos, chaos, I don't even know how to pronounce that. But even through the, the, the mess of, the, of life, I'm going to call you to myself. I will do whatever it takes to call you to me because you matter to me. God will call through a diagnosis, through the chaos of life, through death, through, again, death. Sorry. Just kind of a little excited. Anyhow. So God's promises are yes and amen. We sing that, we sing that song from here. Okay. And, and see, like, know that God is close to the broken hearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So if that is you right now, if this is you at this very moment, Please know that God acknowledges your pain. Please know that, that God acknowledges your hurt. That he somehow, somehow, he will use it to minister to you and to give you hope and to be near you. So over again, we have seen God deliver us from evil. We have seen how God will be in, will be a, our hope when the enemy doesn't give up easy. And now we're going to pick up on our text in verse 19 to see our third and final truth, which is, remember, the unlikely king has defeated the enemy. Remember, the king, the unlikely king, has defeated the enemy. Verse 19 says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who saw the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he will be called a Nazarene. So Herod is out of the picture now. He's dead. Uh, an angel of the Lord makes it back into the story and say, okay, Joseph, you can grab the family. Grab the fam. Go back, to, go back home. Go back to Israel. And uh, so that's exactly what he did. He said he picked it up and went back home. But an angel of the Lord appears back into the story in a dream and says, hey, time out. Uh, I think we're going to change the plans here. You're, you're going to go to, to Nazareth this time. See, this is, this is what the prophets were talking about, that he will be called a Nazarene because that's where he kind of grew up. You know, the king of kings was actually coming from a place that will not qualify Jesus as, as the savior of the world because this is not just a, a, a popular place. Just to kind of give you a little bit of background on Nazareth, this is, like I said, not the, the most popular town in Israel. Um, Nazareth was actually looked down upon um, and not the part of town that you want to say you're, kinda, you're from. In fact, Nathaniel, one of the disciples in, in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, verse 46, it says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Interesting, right? So Nathaniel was actually looking for a Jewish Messiah. He was looking for a king that will come from the right neighborhood. But can I just tell you that God is just, he's just got this reputation of using the unlikely people in his story. 
look with me. We've got Moses, a guy that said he couldn't speak. We've got Jonah, a runner from God. We've got Matthew, a tax collector. This is like tough stuff, right? Not, not really. We got Saul, a former persecutor of, of Christians, and I, a former womanizer, drunk, compulsive liar that is standing right here behind a pulpit, pulpit teaching you or preaching to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Totally the unlikely guy. Totally the unlikely guy. But this is exactly what Matthew is telling us in his gospel. He said it at the very, 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 very beginning from the genealogy. He says, you know, this Jesus kid, is, he's going to come from a lineage of people that are totally the unlikely as well. How so? You've got David, a murderer and an adulterer. You've got, uh, you got Abraham, the, 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 the nobody from nowhere who became the patriarch of our faith. You've got Rahab, a prostitute. And you've got Jesus of Nazareth, the rejected king. From the very beginning, he was the rejected king. Can you see the pattern here? Can you see that there is a pattern that God likes to use on likely people? He chose Nazareth. He didn't choose Jerusalem, which would have made the most sense. In case you didn't know, um, vocational ministry is not something that I've been doing for years. Gavin, again, did mention that at the introduction. Uh, I was brought up on staff in September of this year, so it's just been uh, just a very few months kind of getting uh, into vocational ministry. But I, I always thought that God will call me into some kind of ministry. And I knew that because I had the affirmation of a few people, uh, especially one of the best mentors that anybody could have. His name is Jack Arendt. And Jack just really took me at his own 10 years ago. Uh, we, um, he just loved me really well. Didn't care for where I was or my background. Um, had some great talks uh, over our dinner table. We had some great ping pong battles that I've won most of them. Uh, if he tells you that's different, he's lying. And uh, he married us. He baptized me, baptized my bride. In, in, in matter of fact, like, his, when he married us, his phone went off on my wedding. So if you haven't this guy do your wedding, just confiscate the phone, okay? <laughs> so, but here's the thing. A, a truly a guy that never judged me for who I was in my past, he knew I had some, some commitment issues and I got some addictions and whatnot. Really not, I like, he, he didn't say Alex is the perfect camp for Jesus camp. Like, he's the perfect candidate. No, totally different. Like, I was not the perfect candidate. But you know what? He just took me in no matter what. I was his unlikely guy, but he took me in no matter what. And in fact, as I just told you, he's the one who affirmed vocational ministry in my life. So it was about last year that we were talking about a new position that had opened here at City Life for youth pastor. So I was like, you know what? I, he affirmed me before, so I can probably get my, fit, my, my feet wet with some kiddos. That was, I started my, not my ministry, but I started serving in City Light Kids. This could be it. So I started just kind of like talking to him about it, and, and I decided to ask the question, and then his answer just completely just killed me. I said, what do you think about this new open position at City Light for you, Pastor? I think I, think I want to apply for it. What do you think? And he's like, You? Like, exactly that. Exact, exactly how I just said it. Probably even worse. Like, yes, me, of course. We're talking about this together. And you're like, you? Well, in his mind, it was kind of like, ah, Alex, I don't know if you're like the right person. He just didn't mean 
harm. He didn't, he, he meant well. Maybe I, I really wasn't that type of God who was like, okay, maybe you could be the one who can fulfill the duties of that job. I was completely the unlikely. But he didn't mean harm. Instead, what he did is he just, he said, you know what, Alex, we're going to continue to walk together with Jesus. He, he, he just didn't throw the towel on me and just completely shatter my hopes and dreams of ministry. He called sin in my life. He told me, love your wife like Jesus loved the church. You know, he actually cultivated a kind of character that I will actually need and that that will be required to step into a leadership role. So if you have said yes to Jesus, if you have placed your faith in him, you are dead to sin and alive by an unlikely Savior that came from an unlikely place in the most unlikely way. Amen? Let me ask you this. Have you sense of, uh, have you sense or have you thought a sense of calling of God in your heart? Did I say that right? Have you heard of, have you felt God calling you, but you think of yourself as, as an unlikely person? You know, like I just said, he, he's got a fame for using the unlikely person. And I'm not talking like maybe, maybe you know, a, a sense of calling like, you know, ministry like in my example. I'm talking, I'm talking a calling that will require a massive step of faith that will leverage your life for God's glory. If you're thinking that, if you're thinking that you're the unlikely, let me tell you in the most loving way that you're wrong. Because God has a fame for that. God wants to use, loves to use, delights, delights in using people from unlikely places and unlikely backgrounds for his name, fame, and glory. And let me, let me remind you this as well. Let me remind you that it was the unlikely king that gave his very own life so you and I can be forgiven of our sins. First and foremost, then, then, then it was the unlikely king that gave up his life so you and I can spirit a restoration between you and God because of sin got into the world and we got separated because of it. It was the unlikely king that initiated a plan of salvation. It was the unlikely king that says, you know what, I'm going to spare you from judgment. You think God really can't use you? The unlikely king has defeated sin and death and through his resurrection he has promised eternal life. Where are you with this today? He's looking at you right now. God, it's just straight looking at you, pursuing you. The unlikely king is calling you, not because of what you have brought to the table, but for what God has brought to the table on your behalf. Can you respond in faith? In closing, I want to remind those who do know the king, um, that he is faithful to deliver on his promises, that he knows, and that even though that we may go through spiritual battles, even though that we will experience pain and hurt, God will deliver you from the enemy. And the same God that came down from heaven to this earth in the most unlikely way, he came to give you life and life in abundance. Let's pray together. God, thank you for coming into this earth so we can restore a relationship that was broken and tainted by sin from the very beginning. And it was you, the most unlikely person from the most, uh, most unlikely town that, that did that just for me and for these people in front of me. Oh, God, we just rejoice in this truth uh, that you are just a, a just God, a loving God that only wants to minister to their children to be close to those broken and uh, broken hearted and god we're just uh just so thankful that you are the one who initiated the plan of salvation would you minister to us we, we would you god uh, 
just continue to do the work uh, in us and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.